Good morning. I'm sure it wasn't lost on you, uh, the sheep in today's readings. Sheep, 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 they're everywhere. They started in Psalm 23, one of the most famous uh, psalms, some of the most quoted and memorized verses in Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. In 1 Peter, the word shepherd was snuck in there at the end. I don't know if you saw it, but Peter talks about after suffering, we can turn to Jesus, who is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. If we had read the colic this morning, the colic for Shepherd Sunday, uh, buried in the colic there are words about Jesus is the good shepherd of his people. And obviously, the gospel this morning that was read, Jesus talks about being a shepherd, talks about being a gatekeeper, he talks about being the gate, he talks about thieves and robbers who want to kill and destroy, and he talks about sheep, he talks about us the sheep. So about a week ago, I started to pray and prepare this sermon, and I wanted to give you a little glimpse inside the mind of Gary Beeson as he prepares for sermons like this. I want to tell you the first thing that came to my mind when I thought about sheep, 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 and shepherds. Watch this. (laughs) Thank you, Carrie. That's good. That's good. So try to get that cartoon out of your mind now as I go forward uh, with the rest of the sermon this morning. I want to get to one point at the end, but I don't want to rush there. I want to go through the gospel just for a second and pick out some of the important points, and then I'll try to land this plane at the end with a point uh, that Jesus is making about us as sheep and him as the shepherd. So John uh, chapter 10, we heard uh, Jesus say that he truly He says, truly, truly, in verse 1, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So according to Jesus, there's only one way through the sheepfold, and that's through this gate. Uh, What you don't know, maybe, or what you're not aware of is in first century Palestine, the sheepfold was the place in town where all of the shepherds each night would take their sheep and put them behind this three to four foot stone wall. 
and it usually had broken glass on top of this wall to keep sheep out. And then night after night, the shepherds took turns physically sitting in the doorway of the gate. And so there was only one way in and one way out. And so tonight it was John's night, last night it was my night, and tomorrow night it'll be Jack's night. And we have to sit there all night long listening to these noisy sheep and keeping them from coming or going, but also making sure that nobody climbs over that wall. So that's just to give you an idea what a sheepfold is. Um, also remember that Jesus is speaking to two sets of people here. He's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he's speaking to his disciples. Verse 2, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the shepherd would come in the morning. All of these shepherds in town would come in the morning, and they would walk through uh, the gate there, and uh, they would call their sheep. Jesus goes on to say in verse 3, the gatekeeper, the person who spent the night there, uh, opens the gate. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Calls his own sheep by name. And I know this is possible because I've had pets before. And I can be out with dogs or I can be in a house with animals and I can say something to the pet and the pet will instinctively hear my voice and know my voice. So it's not unusual to think, well, how in the world do these animals know his name? They're responding to his call because the shepherd is getting ready to lead them out of this noisy enclosure. And when the shepherd, verse 4, has brought out all of his own, so I would go in and get my sheep, John would follow and get his sheep. So when the shepherd has gone in and get all of his own, they follow him because they know his voice. Um, verse 2 in Psalm 23, we read this morning about voices and hearing his voice. I want to ask the rhetorical question, have you ever heard God's voice? I'm convinced, you see, that God is speaking to us all the time. I've gotten lots of pushback about this. People say, oh, I don't hear his voice, and I'm going to talk at the end a little bit about somebody that I met this week. I got his permission. Uh, but we were having a conversation because he said he, he's never heard God's voice. And I said, well, just because you haven't heard it doesn't mean he's not speaking. Um, I do believe that God communicates to us through the Bible, for instance, and he communicates through us, to us through circumstantial signs. How many times have you thought of a song or remembered somebody that maybe that's passed away and you get in your car or you go and you turn the radio on and there's that song? I'm not saying every time that happens God is speaking to you. I'm just saying don't discount those times or billboards or other people in our lives, other believers who've looked at us maybe during worship or seen us out at town and said, you know, I have something I want to tell you. And it's usually in love, um, in love. Verse 6 um, Jesus says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, so this dialogue that he's having, comparing sheep to sh and shepherds and comparing, uh, talking about gates and gatekeepers, left the people standing there confused. They did not understand what he was saying to them. That's verse 6. And this is nothing new in Scripture, right? How many times have we heard Jesus say something and then later have to explain himself? But here he is, miffed, I think, that he's having to explain the sheep and shepherd analogy to the Pharisees. And I'll tell you why in a second. So Jesus in verse 7 says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is concrete, I am the door of the sheep. So he's the door, he's the shepherd, and we'll learn later he's also the gatekeeper. And the good news about the gatekeeper is that the gatekeeper is the person who lets you come and go. He's the way in and the way out, and the one who gives direction in life. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. So he's pressing back at the Pharisees a little bit here. And the sheep did not listen to them. There's been false messiahs in Israel's history. People have come before Jesus and claimed to be the chosen one, the descendant of David, a, a messiah for the people. And Jesus is saying all of them um, are not who they report to be. I am, he later says. Because in verse 9 we read, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And here's the good news. He will go in and out and find pasture. 
You ever thought about that idea of being saved if our salvation was the only thing that mattered to the Lord? If, if being saved right here, right now was all that mattered to the Lord, don't you think we'd just go to heaven? I've said this before, but I mean, if today I decided for the first time I believe the truth about Jesus Christ and I say I accept Christ in my heart, I confess it with my lips, I mean like Star Trek, don't you think we'd just be beamed right and be gone? Gary did it. Oh, look, he got it. Oh, there's another one. I mean, everywhere we just see these people in churches and stuff. The problem with that is there wouldn't be anybody left to tell the story, number one. And I think most importantly, and for the gospel today, we're left here for a reason. So we're left here to follow the sheep, follow the shepherd in and out in our lives for the benefit of others and to the glory of God. In verse 10, um, Jesus really drives his point home. It's no wonder the religious leaders were getting more and more angry at him. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Those are pretty heavy words. Um, steal's bad enough. Um, killing is horrible. But destruction means the, the wiping out of every living thing. Do you see the progression there? It's not just, it's not just bad enough that, we're, that, we're, that there's stealing going on, but then there's killing. And finally, there's the ultimate destruction. And that's exactly what the thieves and robbers are out to do. It's pretty serious. Some might even say it's life or death. So it's not just a cute story or a cute bunch of stories this morning that we heard about sheep, right? Even though the cartoon made them look really cute and white and cuddly. I want to ask this question before we go on. Has anybody here ever raised or tended sheep? Raise your hand. One, two. So you guys can verify this truth. I don't know if you know this, um, but sheep are not like they purport to be in cartoons and things. I was at seminary for three years, and two of my classmates worked on a sheep farm, and so I got to go with them several times, observe sheep, and feed them, and then even one of the guys got married there on the sheep farm, and it was cute. It was a beautiful pasture, and the sheep were bah in the background, and really lovely, um, but let me tell you that the other hundred that don't know about sheep, let me tell you some interesting facts about sheep. Uh, first of all, they're filthy. They're really gross. They're, they're, they're not that beautiful white wool that you can buy in stores or that sometimes they frame collars on jackets with. They're dirty. They're, their fur, their wool collects every piece of dirt and feces, and they drag it around with them. And so they're these filthy animals, and they smell bad. They're, they're not too uh, pleasant to spend a lot of time. If you were in a sheepfold, it would not be a great place to be. You'd want to get toward the wall or toward the door. Um, secondly, they're not the brightest animals on the farm. Pigs are smarter. Pigs really are smarter. If there's pig farmers here, they're going, yeah, pigs. But um, pigs, are, pigs, are, pigs are smarter than sheep. Sheep are pretty, pretty dumb. They bite each other a lot. I mean, they just do. It's, they don't use their hooves as much as they use their mouths to bite one another and push them out of the way and, and, and move them from the food. And, and finally, they're noisy. You, uh, they never shut up. I mean, you, when you drive onto the farm and get out of your car, you can hear them as you're walking toward the pasture. The sheep are just talking and bah. All, they're just noisy, dirty, biting animals that aren't very bright. So why in the world does Jesus use that analogy? I thought he loved us. Why in the world would he call us dirty, noisy, biting, horrible, dumb animals? Well, I can tell you this, he didn't just pluck that analogy out of the air. It wasn't like he was thinking to himself, okay, how am I going to make an analogy for them that they'll understand? No, the shepherd-sheep analogy goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And see, that's the thing that was actually tickling and disturbing the Pharisees that he's talking to. When he begins to talk about shepherds and sheep, the religious people of that time, their antenna would go up and they'd go, oh, wait, he's getting ready to make a messianic claim. 
Because God throughout the Old Testament talks about shepherds. He talks about Joshua being a shepherd. Moses lays his hands on Joshua in Deuteronomy and prays to the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, Joshua will be the new shepherd of the flock. Moses is getting ready to die, actually. It's his swan song. So Joshua is appointed a shepherd over the sheep. Uh, there's also King David, for instance. He, you know, clearly uh, the king of Israel and the shepherd of that large flock, but he's the one that wrote that psalm this morning. And he understands the relationship between the real shepherd, God, and who he is. He wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, finally, we see God's promise, his best promise, one of his best promises in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, where God says to the people, um, I will come one day and gather my flock. And that's God speaking. That's not just a human, that's not King David, that's not Joshua, that's just not somebody with a staff. That's God actually claiming that he himself will be the one who comes. He will be the true shepherd. Um, so for this morning, when Jesus is making all these comparisons and allusions to sheep and shepherds, and this coming and going that he's talking about, coming and going out of the sheepfold, what he's saying is, today is that day, folks. Today is the day when God, Jesus, will come and gather his sheep. And we all know that that's the beginning of the end for Jesus. As soon as he starts making these overt claims about who he is, um, he starts to get the religious leaders of the time really upset. I want to say one more thing about the gospel, and then I want to close with my point. Chapter 9 in John's gospel, the one right before what we read this morning, is the story about the man born blind. The man born blind is a guy in his 30s that Jesus meets, and Jesus, this is one of those graphic ones where he spits on the ground and takes spittle, and he forms it, and he presses it into the guy's eyes, and then he gets his sight back, and then um, it causes a real big problem in town, because he runs and starts to tell people, oh my gosh, this man, this prophet Jesus has, has opened my eyes. I can see now. Well, his mom and dad are like, whoa, whoa, wait, who does that? I don't. And then he goes, they say, send him to the Pharisees. And they say, oh, they'll figure it out. So the Pharisees come to him and they say, you know, what, what happened? And he said, well, I, was born, I know this. I was born blind. Now I can see. I don't know, you know, I don't know if he's the God of, of Israel or the king of Israel or not, but all I know is I can see now and I couldn't see an hour ago. So the Pharisees are kind of upset. They call his parents in. There's this big hubbub that goes on in chapter 9 about being born blind and seeing. And then right after that, on the heels of 9, we get chapter 10, which is about hearing. So there's seeing, seeing the truth about Jesus, seeing who he is in chapter 9, and there's hearing. There's this blending together of these two senses that God has given us. So seeing and hearing are paramount to our faith. They're synonymous terms that represent belief and faith. One commentary I read put it this way. I just got out of seminary, so I've got to work a commentary in here. I'll read it slowly. It's not a hard one. Um, the commentary said, Belief enables a person to see his or her inherent sinfulness. So belief allows us to see our sinfulness so that repentance and forgiveness will follow. Belief allows us to see our sinfulness so that repentance will follow. In contrast, hear this. Hear this. In contrast, Self-sufficiency or spiritual blindness prevents repentance and dooms a person to die in a sinful, unforgiven state. I heard a speaker yesterday at the men's breakfast, a real motivational speaker. This guy was amazing, and he survived cancer twice. And he got in front of us and talked about the three keys to his life uh, that, that form and shape the way he approaches every day. He said, those three keys are faith, family, and fitness. And I don't want you to leave today and say, boy, Gary was sure hard on that guy. I mean, why would St. Paul's bring him in for Gary just to beat him up? I mean, 
I don't, I'm, that's not my point, but I want to say one thing about what happened as I was listening to him yesterday talk for about 25 minutes about faith, family, and fitness. Um, it began to remind me of being able to control and being able to take charge of our lives. I began to think, well, that sounds a little bit like this quote. It sounds a little too self-sufficient for me. I remember when a bishop from Nigeria came and stayed at my house many, many years ago, and he woke up Saturday morning in the air conditioning, having used my phone to make a call to his wife, enjoying the coffee and the hot tea, and he looked at me and he said, I don't know how anybody in this country is a Christian. I don't, I, I don't know. How in the world does anybody here come to Christ? You don't need him. You don't need him. You have everything you could want. And if you don't have it, you just go buy it. Or you borrow money and buy it. In my country, he said, every day we, we, we have needs that we have to have met. I mean, water and food. My people are constantly searching, constantly asking. So Jesus, salvation, that's an easy sell in Nigeria. I don't know how in the world anybody comes to Christ in the United States. So I was listening to that guy yesterday thinking, why, why is this bothering me? What about this talk is bothering me? Um, and I, I think this morning or last night, I, I got to a place of reconciliation about it. You see, those three things, faith, family, and fitness, they don't deal with the ultimate problem. They may make us comfortable today. They may make us healthy today. But they don't solve the ultimate problem, and that is we're all going to die. He, cancer may not kill him. I hope it doesn't. I hope cancer doesn't kill him. I hope he lives to be 100. But he is going to die one day. There is nothing he can do to stop that. He, he, he and us and all of us will be standing there one day helpless to this thing called death that is a result of sin. Um, Jesus knows that. Jesus Christ knows that. And so he's desperate, you see, to have our eyes and our ears open so that we can hear him as the good shepherd. He's desperate to unclog our, our eyes and our ears. I, uh, I mentioned at the beginning I had talked to a guy at the Presbyterian home when I was serving with John this Wednesday, and it was lovely. We went out there, a whole group of St. Paul's faithful, some in wheelchairs, some with walkers, and they descend on Presbyterian home, meeting the same types of folks in wheelchairs and walkers, and we all cram in the chapel. It was beautiful, and I was talking to one of our parishioners, John Stenger, and he was making reference to one of our faithful Linda Romelat about he wished his, he could be more like Linda and that he could hear God's voice. He says all the times at vestry meetings, Linda and one other person is always quick to say, well, you know, yesterday in prayer I heard God say this. Or last night as I was praying I heard God, or me walking in here I heard God say this. And so I asked Linda about it on the ride out to St. Timothy's prayer gathering the other night. And she said, well, Gary, don't forget to remind people that God also speaks through nature and he even spoke through a donkey, Balaam's ass. So it's not just... It's not just Linda Romelat. God's speaking, confirming what I'm saying from here. God is speaking to his people. We just need to have our ears and our eyes opened. And the way we do that is to repent and believe. But here's the good news, and here's where I'll close. God knows this about us. He knows that even when we're told three things that will help make us better today, even when we're given keys and books and seminars that will help us be better today, he understands that our condition at times still stiff arms it. We all know that it's important to be good fathers and mothers, and yet we don't sometimes, right? We fail. We all know it's important to be uh, thrifty. It's, we, we know these things. It's not from lack of being told that we don't do them. It's this condition of our heart that says, no, I know better for myself. And Jesus says, well, actually you don't, and I know better for you. So he comes alongside us. He comes alongside those who suffer, 
And he leads those who seek him that are lost, and he constantly seeks those that are lost. So even when we aren't paying attention to him, here's the cool part, he has complete attention paid to us. It's the good news for today. You see, the reason the sheep know his voice and see his truth is because he's opened their eyes to he- and ears to the truth. They may not be the brightest animals on the farm or the cleanest, but they have ears and eyes open to the truth about who Jesus is. They are, as my quotation earlier made the point, not blind or deaf to repentance. They are submitted. They are submitted. They've been through enough to know that they can't do it on their own. They need a shepherd, an advocate, a tender and caring leader who has their best interests in mind all the way to the point, as we know, of lying down his life for them. And I wonder if we think about that enough. I wonder if we think about that enough, that Jesus came and laid down his life. Uh, the sheepdog in the, in the cartoon, cute analogy, but it certainly drives home a point about somebody who's standing guard, who's looking down, who refuses to let even one sheep get taken away by the thieves. So I pray this morning that we've all heard that good news in a new way maybe, or we've heard about God's grace this morning and his love for us this morning in a new way. I pray that today we'll begin to receive and accept that truth some of us for the first time maybe, and some of us in a new way, and it will allow change to occur in our hearts and our lives so that we'll become those white, clean sheep like the video showed. Let me close with this prayer. Lord God, we receive you now in a new way. We receive you as sheep, Lord, dirty, biting, noisy, stubborn. We want to be led and cared for by you. Others in our lives have not done it to our satisfaction. Things in our lives have not done it. Our jobs, our children, everything, Lord, has at times left us wanting more. Please come and fill us by your spirit with confidence that you are the good shepherd, promised by scripture and like no other. You stand guard and you love us all the way to laying down your life for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.